Hello, welcome to Talk All About Everything Southern. If you have a little Dixie in your dialect, you have found the right spot on the dial. I am John Rawl. I think I've got a little Dixie in my in my tongue. And here on today's Y'all Show, I'm going to let that tongue tell you all about what's going on across the Southland. In fact, what's going on across the world? We have an international story that I'll share to start our headlines. Not often do we go to the Persian Gulf for information, but some developing news from that part of the world here that we'll share with you here on today's Y'all Show. And then closer to home... As we work our way through what's going on in this part of the world, we have information coming to you from all over the Southland, and it'll be our pleasure to do that. If you want to be involved with the Y'all Show, a couple of easy ways for you to get involved. Our number is 803-816-1170. You can call or text that number. Operators are right here waiting your feedback. 803-816-1170. You can Email us if you'd rather go that route. It's mail, M-A-I-L, at y'all.com. Or you can go to our website. It is y'all.com, the homepage of the South. Go there right now and check out all kinds of good stuff about the Southland. In addition to news headlines, of which we've got some political stuff on today's Y'all Show, a South Carolina congressman's home vandalized with Antifa symbols. We'll discuss that here on today's y'all show also a meat producer has been the subject of another cyber attack first it was the colonial pipeline in georgia a few weeks ago now an international meat producer has been hacked and is that going to dramatically affect the supply of meat i think so i'll tell you about it here as part of our headlines back to politics louisiana senator john kennedy announces a re-election bid And if you haven't heard John Kennedy talking about someone with a little Dixie in their dialect, oh, we're going to have a fun time playing a couple of his most famous funny things he says. And he says a lot of funny stuff. And this is just a collection of some recent stuff Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana said. We'll have that here on today's Y'all Show. In North Carolina, they're fighting back against liberals. And one county in North Carolina is now banning Coca-Cola in their vending machines in county buildings there in North Carolina. And Coca-Cola's out of Georgia. I guess the reason they should be giving is Pepsi was born in Newburn, North Carolina. They should be giving that as the reason to put Pepsi in and take Coke away. But no, there's another reason. And we'll talk about that here on today's Y'all Show. We've got, it's Wednesday, another Orlando Magic news update. The NBA team from Orlando, the Magic, are back in the news, and it has nothing to do with what happens on the hard court. We'll discuss that here on today's Y'all Show. Hey, Paris is getting a new Eiffel Tower. Not the one in France. Not the one in Tennessee. But Paris, Kentucky, getting a new Eiffel Tower. I'll tell you all about it. Plus, if you got one of them Bear Bryant Coke bottles and you've been having it on the shelf for more than... 40 years now, I have just the place you might want to go sell that thing to or buy one of those things or just to tell you about Alabama Crimson Tide merchandise. There's a new Alabama vintage store, and if you are a fan of the Crimson Tide, oh, you're going to have to make your way to T-Town and learn about this one and see all the stuff they've got from Alabama fans from 40, 50, 60 years ago. 
you better have a lot of money in your pocketbook that will tell you about that. Plus, in our headlines today, how about this feel-good story taking you back to 1987? Where were you in 1987? Well, I was hanging out in South Carolina, but I'm not responsible for what happened that year in Myrtle Beach. Someone in Myrtle Beach put a message in a bottle. And do you know that bottle just washed ashore in Florida? And I'll tell you all about it. Were you the one that put that message in the bottle as part of a summer spring fling, if you will, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? And now, all of these years later, 1987, oh, just 34 years ago is all that was. It's now washing ashore in the Sunshine State. All that is part of our news headlines today on y'all. We have sports info, the latest with the NBA playoffs. Round one is winding down. And some surprises, we'll let you know about that. Then if you tuned in and saw Major League Baseball Tuesday, the Atlanta Braves had a game at home against the Washington Nationals. And Steven Strasburg, the ace, if you will, of the Nationals lineup, ended his start only, I think, in the second inning. I was actually watching that thing when it happened. And he's got an injury that he may be done for the season. He didn't even pitch in 2020. Steven Strasburg, the heralded pitcher for the Washington Nationals, leaving and a lot of eyes on his arm going forward speaking of major league baseball today major league baseball is doing something really touching today is lou gehrig day the first time mlb's ever recognizing a day for lou gehrig the yankees great great player from the 1920s and 1930s and it was on july 4th 1939 that lou gehrig made his famous speech about being the luckiest guy in the world I'll play a clip of that here on today's Y'all Show. I'll also discuss ALS, of which Lou Gehrig died from, and it's even named Lou Gehrig's disease. And we'll discuss that and how you can help out here on the second day of June. This is the day that in 1941, sadly, Lou Gehrig died. And Lou Gehrig, when he died, it was a young man. He was only 37 years old when he died in the Bronx in 1941. But Lou Gehrig's day today across Major League Baseball, a fitting tribute to this man and a fitting reminder of what ALS, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, is, a neurodegenerative disease that is progressive and it is continuing on despite the fact that Lou Gehrig may have been the first celebrity to ever get it back in the 1930s. But we know now so many people have suffered from it it's a very, very awful thing to have, and perhaps you know someone who, who's had it or has it, and it's just unfortunately one of the things that we still haven't got a cure for. But we're going to tell you how maybe we can help get a cure, ALS.org, ALS.org, the website, to help out with research and more of ALS. We'll tell you about Lou Gehrig's disease. Sports-wise, today in this first hour, we'll also be checking in with our ACC insider, Jonathan Lifite. we got some ACC football to discuss with Mr. Lifite of 247sports.com. We'll also get the latest from Jonathan on ACC Baseball, the conference with eight teams headed to the NCAA's postseason, and we'll fill you in on who those teams are and where they're headed And also, we'll get Jonathan's take on who might have got left off for the college baseball playoffs here. It is ACC Talk, courtesy of Jonathan Lifite, the ACC Insider with 247sports.com. That'll be on later this hour and before hour one 
is in the books. We'll go to Kobe Bennett for a Southern accent on Southern culture. All that right here in hour one. And then as we move along today in today's y'all show, we have a business report coming your way, hour two, some big news on that front. Plus, we'll have an author stopping by. Richard V. Battle is a Texan and has written the book Navigating Life's Journey. And he'll be on as part of our Southern Author Spotlight in Hour 2. We'll also, in Hour 2, have a Southern Book Report looking at the bestsellers going on right now. And we'll tell you about the number one book in the land. It's by a UVA alumna, Laura Dave. She's at number one with The Last Thing He Told Me. And I'll let you know more about this above the Mason-Dixon line raised, but below the Mason-Dixon line educated Laura Dave, who's back with a big book, and it's part of our Southern Book Report in Hour 2. Hour 3 today, we're going to switch over from talking to books to movies. Hour 3, Clint Eastwood just celebrated, I think, his 91st birthday this week on on, on Memorial Day, Monday. And Clint Eastwood, a website, Advanced Local has done a great article, and I'll walk through this and get your opinion on Clint, who I'm going to go ahead and give the title Honorary Southerner. I can't believe this guy has actually never lived in the South. He's been here and worked a lot, most recently a lot of work in Georgia, but this guy with so many great movies that have to do with the South and or beloved by Southerners, to my knowledge, has never lived in the Southeast. Maybe, Clint, before you turn 100, you can get over here and check it out a little longer, if you if you will. Clint Eastwood's 10 Best Movies Ranked. We'll discuss that, an article out by Ben Flanagan of Advanced Local. All that in Hour 3 of today's Y'all Show. All right, let's get into the fun here on this Wednesday edition. And let's tell you about something happening across the pond in the Persian Gulf right now. And actually, this is in the Gulf of Oman, not the Persian Gulf. Iran's largest warship has caught fire and has sunk in the Gulf of Oman. Now, if you keep up with international news in just the last few days, Iran had two planes essentially crash or collide on a runway in that country. And so they've had two aircraft go down and pilots killed in the last few days. Remember when there was that strike against the U.S. personnel in Iraq last year? right in the very heated time between the U.S. and Iran, right in the right after, I guess it was January 1st of 2020. I mean, it's been so long now. January 1st, around 2020. I remember it was around the holidays whenever we had a little dust-up with Iran when President Trump was in office. And Iran ended up firing missiles that came down on U.S. bases in Iraq. At that same time, they shot down that passenger jet that was headed to Ukraine, I think. And and that was a a mess up on their end that they cost the lives of over 100 passengers on that passenger jet. Well, now the largest warship in the Iranian Navy has caught fire and it sank today in the Gulf of Oman. Unclear circumstances of what caused this. The FARS and Tasman news agencies said efforts failed to save the support warship Karg, that's spelled K-H-A-R-G, named after the island that serves as the main oil terminal for the country of Iran. And now, here in this area of the world, more tension here as this ship 
as I said, the largest warship in the country of Iran catching fire and sinking. Right now, I don't have any kind of news on loss of life, but this is not going to be very good. This is going to set them off, even if this is a an accident that could have happened. Iran is an unstable country, and we have a country here that we're not sure what they're going to end up doing with Iran. They, Trump was very aggressive. Biden seems to be passive. We don't know how Iran's going to react to this. And Iran denied targeting vessels here lately as U.S. Navy footage recently has shown Revolutionary Guard members removing mines from a vessel in that part of the world. It's been very, very unstable, very, very unnerving. And right now, with this largest ship in the Iranian Navy, their largest warship, catching fire and sinking in the Gulf of Oman near the Strait of Hormuz. That's the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf. So it is in the Persian Gulf area, but technically they call this the Gulf of Oman and the Karg going down today. And that's as a story to kind of be on the lookout for. This could be a major, major, have a major impact on world affairs going forward. The largest meat producer is now getting back online. It's JBS getting back online after a cyber attack. And this world's largest meat processing company, which has connections throughout the world, including Australia and here in the U.S., becomes the latest international company to be affected by a cyber attack as it is an unfortunate thing in today's world that people can get in there and hack. A lot of people think that this latest cyber attack of this meat processing company came from Russia. I don't know what Russia's got against us or the world at this point, but the White House said JBS had notified the U.S. of a ransom demand from a criminal organization likely based in the nation of Russia. The White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Pierre told the White House and the Department of Agriculture have been in touch with JBS several times this week. JBS is the second larger producer of beef pork and chicken in this country and if it were to shut down for even one day the u.s would lose almost a quarter of its beef processing capacity or the equivalent of twenty thousand beef cows it's a lot of animals from jbs jbs plants in australia resumed limited operations today but jbs is the largest meat and processing company in that country with 47 facilities and I don't know their count that they have in the United States, but I do know they do have a big presence. In fact, JBS is the majority shareholder of Pilgrim's Pride. Pilgrim's Pride, I think, has 84 facilities in this country, and they were closed Monday and Tuesday because of this attack. So, yeah, you're likely to see more as if the meat industry didn't have enough problems with coronavirus outbreaks and more. Now, a ransomware attack, likely even in a different country, causing problems in the meat industry, and that's just going to make the supply go way down, and it's going to make the prices go way up. Note to you when you're out in the grocery store this week, check out. Be very mindful, if you will, of your meat purchases because of what's happened here this week around the world. Virginia Military Institute, Lexington, Virginia. 
They're in the news because, according to reports, VMI has tolerated and failed to address institutional racism and sexism and must be held accountable for making changes. That, according to a State of Virginia sanctioned report that came out on Tuesday. This 145-page report, which was put together by an independent law firm at the request of the State Council of Higher Education for the Commonwealth of Virginia, states that racial slurs and jokes are not uncommon at VMI, and they contribute to an atmosphere of hostility toward minorities. Some graduates welcome the findings, as long overdue, at a nearly two-century-old institution. I think VMI started around 1839 is when it started there in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. One time, Stonewall Jackson was the superintendent at Virginia Military. Alumni there include George Marshall of World War II fame, George Patton went to school at VMI. You also have the current governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, is a VMI alumnus from football world, Bobby Ross, great football coach for Georgia Tech and Maryland, also was an NFL coach of the Detroit Lions, Bobby Ross, a VMI alumnus. And I think that's about all. That's all I can tell you about here on today's Y'all Show. But yes, VMI in the news because of this state survey finding out some bad things that have gone on there. And to VMI's defense, yeah, they have likely had knuckleheads there throughout the history of the school. Which school does not have a few knuckleheads running around? But among the findings, this report found that racial disparity exists among cadets who have been dismissed by the school's student-run honor court. Cadets of color, according to this, represent 23% of the core, but make up 41% of cadets convicted of the honor code that is you do not lie you do not cheat you do not you do not you do not steal and you do not tolerate those who do so if you know someone lying cheating or stealing and you don't report it you are subject to being dismissed yourself that is the way great military schools like virginia military institute west point the citadel and annapolis operate The report also said that sexual assault is prevalent yet inadequately addressed at VMI, the nation's oldest state-supported military college. I think, again, 1839, three years older than its kin institution in Charleston, South Carolina, also known as the Citadel, which are the two southern state-supported military colleges that are essentially all military, not necessarily a small portion of the student body like you will see at Virginia Tech, and also at Texas A&M, and we'll throw it out there, North Georgia Military College. Those are, I think, your major state-supported or or public institutions that have a military component within their regular student body. So VMI in the news again as a report telling of sexual assault and racism at the historic military college in Lexington, Virginia. An Arkansas man who robbed a taco shop with a water pistol is now asking for clemency again after spending 40 years in prison. It was February of 1981 that Rolf Kastel, armed with a toy water pistol, robbed an Arkansas taco shop of $264. And for that crime, Rolf Kastel has spent 40 years incarceration being incarcerated 
He was 29 when he robbed the taco shop. He'll turn 70 today. Sentenced to life in prison and a $15,000 fine for aggravated robbery for the crime that he was sentenced on in June of 1981. The man who managed the taco shop and handed Castle the money during the robbery has recommended his release. Mike Beebe was given an appeal, who was then the governor of Arkansas back in 2014. And right now, Castle is awaiting the decision of current governor Asia Hutchinson on another clemency application. Hmm. 40 years for robbery of any kind seems pretty steep. But to know that this was done with a water pistol in 1981 and Rolf, R-O-L-F, Rolf is still in prison and he's now 70 years old after all these decades in an Arkansas prison. To Texas, Governor Greg Abbott is now lauding the fewest confirmed new COVID-19 cases in the Lone Star State. This is great news as Governor Abbott and all of the Texas leaders are happy about the low numbers reported of COVID-19 cases in the Lone Star State. He revealed a report of the least amount of COVID-19 cases in the state since the data was first being tracked in 2020. As Governor Abbott said, today, Texas reported the fewest new confirmed COVID cases since I set them being tracked in March of 2020. The seven-day positivity rate dropped to a new all-time low of 2.78%. COVID hospitalizations dropped to a one-year low. Fatalities fell to a third lowest in 24 months. That is wonderful news coming out of Austin, Texas, and more, as they are, they, Texas, as well as the rest of the South and the nation, looks like we're getting past COVID-19, we hope, and it will be long gone as fast as we possibly can. Now, remember, Governor Abbott talking about fatalities. They are the third lowest in 14 months is what he said. He was bragging about that number because if you go back a few months ago in March, President Joe Biden blasted Greg Abbott's Texas and Tate Reeves' Mississippi because those states were the first two states in the country to reopen. And Biden called that Neanderthal thinking and a big mistake at the time. And here we see two months later, according to the data coming from Texas, really no num- really low numbers, the fewest confirmed new COVID-19 cases in Texas, I think, since this thing got started in 2020. That is great news, don't you think? Yes, you do. All right, to political news, more political news coming in. Nancy Mace is the freshman congressman from the Charleston area representing the 1st Congressional District of South Carolina in the United States House of Representatives. And now in her home area in Charleston, South Carolina, the Charleston Police Department investigating vandalism at this congressman's house over the Memorial Day weekend. Her property was spray-painted with profanity and anarchist symbols. Anarchist symbols, sorry. Mace discovered this Monday morning on Memorial Day at her house. It was also on her front steps, her sidewalk, and the street in front of her home was defaced with black spray paint. Vandals wrote several statements, including F and then a couple of other letters. F, couple of letters, you, Nancy. 
All politicians are bastards, is what they wrote. No God, no masters. Pass the PRO Act. Don't even know what that is. And then they had three Antifa symbols spray-painted at Nancy Mace's Charleston home. Now, this discovery was especially jarring since vandalism was at her home when she resides where she lives there with two middle school-aged children. Nancy Mace is currently divorced. As she wrote, I'm a single mom, and this is where I'm raising my family, and she's very troubled by this. Nancy's around 42, 41 years old, and this single mom who is a U.S. House of Representatives member, first term, representing 1st District, South Carolina, having these kind of things spray-painted at her house and not happy about it. She's filed a police report with the Charleston Police Department, and the city is already using power-washing equipment to remove the graffiti from her property, and she wants it gone so that other school children walking past it won't see it. As she said, it's a very jarring experience to have that happen to you at your home. And, of course, there have been other people who've had issues at their own home. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul got a suspicious package at his Kentucky home recently that was filled with white powder and had an image threatening violence. Of course, he was beat up by his next-door neighbor, Rand Paul, a few years back. And some of this targeting and and this, this threat goes both ways. Democratic members of Congress also have been threatened too. But in this latest case, Nancy Mace in the news because of someone or some people causing some graffiti and threats at her Charleston, South Carolina home where she was there away from Congress since they were out for the Memorial Day break. To the Senate we go, and Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana has launched his 2022 reelection bid with a quote only John Kennedy could give us, saying, I will not let you down. I'd rather drink weed killer. John Kennedy, who won 61% of the vote during his 2016 election to the U.S. Senate, now says that he's going to be running again in 2022, as he announced this on Tuesday, saying, yes, come hell or high water, your values will be my values, and I will never be silent. Never. When the nut jobs tell me to sit down and shut up. As he said in the video, he pledged, I will not let you down. I'd rather drink weed killer than to let his constituents down. I guess that's where John Kennedy was going with this. How about John Kennedy? He's going to turn 70 this year. He's 69 years old. He does a great job. If nothing else, if you can't stand his politics, the guy's usually at every kind of Senate hearing whatever committee he's on. So give him credit for showing up. Give him credit for being unusual. Give him a lot of credit for his southern dialect. The guy, a Mississippi-born, Louisiana-bred, Vanderbilt-educated U.S. senator from the state of Louisiana, has been just a great welcome addition, in my opinion, to the U.S. Senate because some of the senators we have, representing our various southern states at least, I couldn't tell you what they sound like, what they what they have going on. Uh, some of them don't even vote. If you have been keeping up with national politics in the last few days, so there was the Senate had a chance to vote on and approve a U.S. Senate committee, I guess, on the House 
in, uh, riot, some call it insurrection of January 6th, and it didn't pass. It didn't pass because several Republicans did not vote for it. But there were several Democrats who didn't vote on it either. I mean, how could you not vote if you're elected to represent your state and you're a U.S. senator, which I don't think they have all that many things come across their desk to vote on, how could they not be voting? I guess they weren't even in Washington. So don't come after the Republicans, Democrats, because on this, in this case, they could have had the votes to at least make it a lot closer and not get to the – they had to get to the 60-vote threshold for this thing to pass, and they didn't come close. And I think about five Democratic senators did not even vote. And several Republicans did not vote. And a lot of Republicans voted against the legislation. John Kennedy, though, says he's going to stick around and run for re-election in 2022. Now, if you're not all familiar with 69-year-old John Kennedy of Louisiana, he is southern to the core, and he's got some of the wittiest remarks going in Washington, D.C. And it just wouldn't be right here as he's announcing his election campaign for 2022 to remind you of how Southern Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana is. And here, thanks to the YouTube channel, the DC Shorts is a collection, a repertoire of John Kennedy remarks in Washington, DC. <laughs> Get ready to laugh. You know what the American people are thinking right now, Mr. President? They're thinking that this country was founded by geniuses. But it's being run by a bunch of idiots. Senator, are you celebrating the greatest uh, progressive bill in the history of our country? <laughs> well, I, I, I voted against it, Brian. Um, I, uh, President Biden says it's a, a coronavirus bill. And uh, my response is right, you know, and the stripper really likes you. Uh, I, I stand before you tonight as a proud, deplorable. I try to speak uh, plainly so that uh, my constituents uh, who, who don't follow the nuances of government like, like I do because they're too busy earning a real living, uh, can understand the issues before me. Kennedy is quickly becoming one of the most quoted lawmakers in Congress. This stuff is why the aliens won't talk to us. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I said the other day that calling this a coronavirus bill is like, like uh, calling Harvey Weinstein a, a feminist. Uh, um, it's just shock full of spending porn. He has said, I think on CNN, that the reason he needs them is that he needs to determine how well the IRS is auditing taxpayers. Uh, I, I, I can't believe he really thinks the American people are going to fall for that. It, it, it must really suck to be that dumb. Look, this is very simple. Mr. Neal wants to screw with the president. When everybody's unhappy in Washington, a lot of folks across America are very happy. Right. Uh, and, and, and Washington doesn't understand. It says it does. But a lot of people in Washington don't understand that the rest of America laughs at us. They think this whole place is, is, is just dysfunction junction. You know what the American people are thinking right now? They're thinking that the brain is an amazing organ. It starts working in a mother's womb 
and it doesn't stop working until you get elected to Congress. <laughs> John Kennedy of Louisiana told you that guy's pretty funny, no matter if you like his politics or not. All right, lastly here in our look at headlines here for hour one of today's y'all show. So we'll take you to Dobson, North Carolina. That is a great little county in the state of North Carolina. And North Carolina, by the way, is the home of Pepsi-Cola. It was born in Newburn, North Carolina. And in this Surrey County in North Carolina, they're not too happy with what's happened with Coca-Cola out of Atlanta. And this county is now banning Coca-Cola vending machines in their office buildings. Officials said they're unhappy with Coca-Cola's criticism of Georgia Republicans' new restrictive voting laws as the company had been outspoken defending voting rights prior to Governor Kemp of Georgia signing that into law, sweeping legislation to work on the elections of the future. The bill cuts down on the number of absentee ballot drop boxes and expands the powers that the Georgia legislature has over elections. And some activists say that this law in Georgia specifically targets voters in minority communities. Well, the longest-serving commissioner in Surrey County, Eddie Harris, said he hopes this legislation will be implemented in other counties across North Carolina, that is, the getting rid of Coca-Cola machines. He called Coca-Cola's recent statement left-wing politics. So, again, if you're wanting to go get you a, a nice cold Coke or Diet Coke or maybe even a Dr. Pepper in Surrey County, North Carolina, you're out of luck. The vending machines have not been removed from offices in the county quite yet but according to a spokesman for coca-cola consolidated a bottle company bottling company that is separate from coca-cola the company has reached out to the county in hopes of setting up a meeting (laughs) could be a political play here but yeah at least they're saying they want coca-cola machines out of the county building because they're not happy with coke down in atlanta from surrey county getting into the political world and and causing all kinds of uh mayhem if you will i think we all just need to sit down take a nice deep breath and maybe have a coke and a smile and we'll be a lot better off maybe john kennedy will come talk to us as well when we come back on the y'all show an update from the nba and other sports news don't forget jonathan lifeite set to come on in just a few minutes to give us his acc report this is the show all about the south We are the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent and a little NBA news here as we continue on with this first hour of the Wednesday Y'all Show, our sports update, if you will. And on Tuesday in the NBA, round one games continuing on, and the Brooklyn Nets win their series with the Boston Celtics 123-109. Ooh, what a great job there by Harden. Triple-double. The Nets advanced to the second round after that big win over the Celtics in Brooklyn on Tuesday. The Nuggets, they take a 3-2 series lead over the Portland Trail Blazers with a win in double overtime, 147-140 to 140 
on Tuesday. And then the other big game on Tuesday, the Phoenix Suns with the 115-85 thumping over the Tinseltown Lakers and now Phoenix and the Valley with a 3-2 series lead over the L.A. Lakers as LeBron James had to go to the locker room and the blowout loss, he went there with a little bit of a a little bit of a dust up, if you will, and the Lakers just end up being trounced by twenty five points, no thirty points rather thirty. So don't let me underestimate the Phoenix Suns here. Thirty point victory, Suns now with the three two series lead over the L A Lakers in that Western Conference battle. What's on the NBA scoreboard? What's going on here on this Wednesday? The Wizards and 76ers get together. Philly with a chance to take this series. They've got the 3-1 series lead. That game tips off here on this Wednesday at 7 Eastern from Wells Fargo Center in Philly. The Atlanta Hawks and New York Knicks getting together in Madison Square, and the Hawks with a chance to take that series. They've got the 3-1 series lead. That game will be tipping off on TNT at 7.30 Madison Square Garden time. The Memphis Grizzlies are on the brink of elimination. They'll be at the Vivian Smart Home Arena in Salt Lake City where the Jazz will be hosting them. That game tipping off at 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Bill Street time. And then the last game of the NBA here on this Wednesday, the Staples Center is where you'll find the L.A. Clippers who right now have knotted up their series with the Dallas Mavericks. Mavs and Clips getting together at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on TNT. Major League Baseball and Steven Strasburg, who sat out 2020, came into the game against the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday, and he had to leave the game early with a tight right muscle, a trapezius muscle. And now the right-hander is questionable the rest of this season as his team got the 11-6 victory over the Braves at Truist Park. I was watching this thing when it happened, and the announcer, Skip Carey, to his credit, not skip chip carry sorry wrong generation uh, at least i didn't say harry carry it's the it's the third carry boy it's the it's chip chip and he's done a great job with the atlanta braves for a long time but chip carry was noting how strasburg just didn't look like he had his stuff his fastball did not have movement on it as they said and these are guys who see major league baseball games every single day and here i am as a spectator on television or watching on television I was thinking these guys don't know what they're talking about. But sure enough, a line drive hit right to Strasburg. The ball ended up hitting his glove around his palm area. And that was enough reason for manager Dave Martinez of the Nats to come out and and take him off the mound. And as the announcers for the Braves said, at least, him coming out there to take him out of the game had nothing to do with that line drive that went right to his glove and he caught it and threw it on over to first it had to do with he just didn't have a stuff and so they used the the excuse of the ball going up there and rattling him as a pitcher to get him out of the lineup but now Strasburg is going to probably be out it was his third start since returning from more than a month on the injured list on Tuesday and he's got some real issues going forward with his major league career as I said he missed almost all of 2020 making just two starts after requiring surgery for a carpal tunnel neuritis and martin martinez said after the game he's frustrated but i want to make sure we do the right thing for him and for us strasburg has been on the injured list 13 times in his career 
and he's in the second season right now of a seven-year, $245 million contract he signed after leading the Nats to the 2019 World Series title. That's when he won MVP honors with two wins against the Houston Astros and went 5-0 and with a 1.98 ERA in the postseason. But right now, he is going to likely be out for quite some time as they evaluate him. We wish him all the best. This is a guy who came into the major leagues as the number one pick in the draft 10 years ago, whenever it was, and just had so much publicity about his college career and what he did growing up. And he's performed. He's a guy who truly has come to the majors and been the superstar many people predicted. So we wish him all the best in his effort to get back on the mound. Today in Major League Baseball is Lou Gehrig Day. June 2nd was the day that Lou Gehrig passed away in 1941 of ALS. Major League Baseball, for the first time, recognizing this on this anniversary of his death, the Iron Horse of Major League Baseball, Lou Gehrig, who passed away in his 30s after coming down with ALS. And Major League Baseball has had things like the Ice Bucket Challenge going on for a long time. That's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for ALS research and more. But right now, the 30 clubs of the Major League Baseball are working together to commemorate Lou Gehrig Day today. I'll tell you more about this going forward in today's Y'all Show. I'll have a clip of Lou Gehrig's famous 1939 address to the Yankee fans as it was his last game for the Yankees and a, a touching goodbye from Lou Gehrig. And today, throughout Major League Baseball, it is Lou Gehrig Day, and we'll tell you more as we work our way through this Y'all Show Wednesday edition. When we come back, our buddy Jonathan Leifite of 24-7 Sports is going to be on with an ACC report. How about those Duke Blue Devils? We'll tell you about that in a little ACC football news, all right here on the show that covers the ACC, SEC, and so much more. This is the Y'all Show. Your Duke Blue Devils, your 2021 ACC Baseball Tournament Champions. How in the world did that happen in Charlotte? We'll discuss. Jonathan Lifite is on with us. He is the ACC Insider with 247sports.com. And Jonathan joining yours truly, John Rawl, on this Y'all Show Wednesday edition. We'll talk some ACC baseball and the postseason. The conference with eight teams selected for the road to Omaha. But first up, Jonathan, welcome into the Y'all Show. I want to talk a little football with you, if that's okay. Uh, that'd be great. Football's always a good topic for me. All right. Tell me about your favorite school in the state of Georgia, the University of Georgia. I'm oh, sorry, John. I lost you. You broke up on me. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, it's probably a good thing. Divine intervention. I was going to have you comment on your favorite college in the Peach State, a place called the University of Georgia. You ever heard of them? 
I've heard of them, yes. Okay. Well, they're a school somewhere in Georgia, and they have just landed a Clemson defensive back transfer, Darian Kendrick. What can you tell me about this decision? Was Kendrick someone who saw a lot of playing time for the Tigers? Well, he uh, he was a pretty good player for uh, for, for Clemson. He uh, he appeared, I think, about uh, um, he started about twenty. I think he had twenty three starts in uh, 30, 39 games. Um, but he had some some kind of off off the field kind of deal, and, and ended up getting suspended um, and some other things. And then decided he ended up decided he wanted to uh, to transfer out. Uh, so he was also an All ACC. Uh, second team All ACC um, in that 2019 and first team after the 2020 season. Um, so, but uh, um, it, it's an interesting move. You know, he's certainly a really, really good player. Um, but uh, you know, it will be interesting to see if he can clean up his off the field stuff. And the Clemson Tigers and Georgia Bulldogs are going to be playing each other in the very first game of this new season. So, you'll have a chance to instantly play against his old team. Yeah, they can start the season out there down in Atlanta, and uh, um, no, you know, Charlotte. So, Charlotte. Oh, they are. That is. I'm sorry, you're right. It is. I forgot that they were doing that there. Uh, so, um, but yeah, that'll be a pretty good game. I think. Uh, um, I think you have a pretty good idea which way I'm going to be going. Hmm. Let me think about it. Well, remember those are two of uh, a, a certain school in Atlanta's biggest rivals, Clemson and Georgia. But I think I know where you're going on that one. Virginia I'll be Tech. Holding, I'll be holding that tiger. Oh yeah, Virginia Tech has reinstated a banned player. How in the world could you do that, Devon Hunter? After he's accepted a plea deal on felony and misdemeanor charges, and he's back in the program. Was this guy a big playmaker for the Hokies before he was banned? Uh, he did a pretty good bit for, for them. That certainly was a you know he was certainly a you know a big contributor for them. So. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you'll see him him definitely uh, you know kind of get things things going for them. But he he just uh, had again off season issues. So now that he's got that all cleared up and and it's uh, you know he, he was uh, basically it was a domestic assault kind of kind of deal um, that was uh, he, he was a part of. Um, but he was certainly a a, a player that, that gave them a you know some contributions on the field. So uh, um, he'll, he'll be back and he'll definitely uh, have an impact. All right, Jonathan, you've told us about this before. We want to remind you that while we're a couple of months away from the start of ACC football, we will have ACC Media Day in Charlotte coming up real soon. So that is something we want you to be aware of. We'll have all kinds of clips of the coaches when they make their way to the Queen City for that in literally just a few weeks. Do you know the breakdown of who's speaking for that? Well, I mean, typically the way the way it goes, and they haven't kind of released the entire uh, agenda for it, uh, but usually what they'll do is they'll start off with, a, you know, commissioner, and of course we'll have a new commissioner, so there'll be a lot of interest in, uh, in what, uh, what, uh, what he has to say. Um, and then they'll also have kind of an officiating forum where they'll talk about rule changes and stuff things like that um and then what they usually do, what they do and in this case it will definitely be true coastal will be on the first day um they'll have all the coaches and players from each one of those teams each team sends the, obviously their head coach and two players um and they'll have the opportunity to speak and then they'll get uh, q a 
Uh, they'll make the rounds over to some of the media, particularly ESPN. They'll spend some time there. Um, and then uh, on the second day, it will be the uh, they'll go through the Atlantic uh, the Atlantic teams. Um, so that will be on uh, July 21st and 22nd. Jonathan, I can tell you, while the media day is coming up real quick, the first week, which is that Labor Day weekend, September the 4th, I can tell you about where you can tune in and see various ACC teams in action. That Clemson-Georgia game in Charlotte is going to be a primetime game on ABC on that Labor Day Saturday. The Dukes-Mayo Classic is what that is called. Florida State and Notre Dame get together on ABC on Sunday of Labor Day weekend. That ought to be a lot of fun. On Monday night, Monday Night Football features the ACC's Louisville Cardinals and the Mississippi Landsharks at the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta. That's the only college football game taking place on that Monday night. And then throughout the rest of that weekend, it kind of gets underway on Thursday. You can tune in and see the NC State Wolfpack and USF together on the ACC Network. Also, you got Wake Forest and Old Dominion on a Friday night game televised on the ACC Network. The Charlotte 49ers and the Duke Blue Devils also playing on that first Friday night of college football. That'll be on CBS Sports Network. Georgia Tech and Northern Illinois will be a 7.30 Saturday night game on the ACC Network. Miami and Alabama will be a Saturday afternoon affair from the Georgia Dome, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game on that Labor Day Saturday. That's a mid-afternoon kick there. North Carolina and Virginia Tech, a Friday night game. That's going to be on ESPN. I'm sorry if I'm bouncing around all over the place, but that's how this thing's presented. And then the last two ACC Southern connections to tell you about, Virginia and William & Mary will be televised regionally on uh, the RSN networks. That's going to be on that first football Saturday of the season. And then Virginia Tech and North Carolina getting together on ESPN also on that first Friday of the college football season. Jonathan, there's a lot of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday ACC games. I cannot wait. Yeah, I mean, uh, after after 2020, uh, I, I think all of us are re- really ready. And, and the fun part will be to see all the fans back in the stands. Um, and that, you know, the, the atmosphere and passion around college football is always what makes it great. And uh, that was certainly missing in 2020. And, and I'm sure it will be back with renewed vigor uh, come 2021. Jonathan, ACC baseball, eight teams from the conference getting a bid to go to the NCAA tournament. We want to once again congratulate the Duke Blue Devils finding a way to win the ACC tournament in Charlotte. And I don't think that was a team that was going to make it to the postseason. And they find a way to win the conference tournament. And now eight teams off to the road to Omaha. Your thoughts on college baseball from an ACC perspective? Yeah, I mean, we we thought uh, I felt pretty good about at least seven teams getting in from the ACC, and then uh, um, I thought there was could be as many as ten. Um, and if you kind of look at some of the the folks that said the last kind of four out, uh, certainly included Louisville. So getting eight in, uh, not a big surprise. Um, but, but you know, they did it. All right, Jonathan Lifeite, we're having some phone problems with him today. I'll tell you what, we'll just have to say goodbye to him for today and appreciate him coming on and maybe sometime between now and next time we'll get him in a better phone environment here for the Y'all Show. Well, again, that will wrap up our ACC discussion with Jonathan. 
When we come back on the Y'all Show, we'll have a southern accent from Kobe Bennett, a southern accent on culture on this, the show that covers everything southern. How about those Blue Devils? Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Summer vacation is here, and one of my favorite spots for sun, surf, and relaxation is Dolphin Island, Alabama. Situated off the coast of Mobile Bay, Dolphin Island is a barrier island and is accessible by car via their gigantic sloped bridge or by Gulf Shores Ferry. If you're looking for a long stay, I recommend renting a condo at the Holiday Isle. Otherwise, one can stay at the Gulf Breeze Motel for a shorter visit. The island is an exquisite location for beachgoers and fishermen alike. Numerous fishing spots dot the island, I typically prefer fishing right off the shore. If you do go fishing, be sure to have some protection for any catches and bait you may have, as some nosy blue herons may try and swipe them. Fishing is not the only way to get an up-close and personal view of the wildlife thanks to the Estuarium. Dolphin Island is also home to the historic Fort Gaines, considered one of the most well-preserved Civil War masonry forts in the country, known for its role in the Battle of Mobile Bay. So if you're looking for a calm and relaxing vacation spot that's not in Florida, check out Dolphin Island. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, man, what a great idea. Dolphin Island always a good place on the gulf coast to go check out and watch out for them birds they might come try to steal what you got there all right dolphin island put it down on your list of places to go to as we get the summer going here on y'all we've got hour two coming your way whether you're listening to us on dolphin island or not you want to make sure you stick around for hour two today we've got author richard v battle he's written the book navigating life's journey and this texan writer is going to be on with us and we'll have business news as well and a whole lot more fun coming your way on y'all hour two and it's coming up right after this y'all for another hour we're on patrol covering everything southern i'm john your friendly southern ambassador and it's good to have you back here for talk about the south and oh we got a lot about the south to say here in hour two of this wednesday edition of y'all and let me just give you an idea let me get you set up for what is headed your way we got an author that's going to be on with us here in this second hour richard v battle He has written the book, Navigating Life's Journey, and he'll be on as part of our Southern Author Spotlight later this hour. Good Texan, good read, Navigating Life's Journey, all coming up here today on this second hour. We also have, speaking of books, information on the New York Times bestsellers list. Laura Dave is at number one, and she has penned her latest book, The Last Thing He Told Me. I'll tell you about Mrs. Dave, who got her education at the University of Virginia. All that is part of our Southern Book Report coming your way here in this hour, too. We also have a lot of business news to get to here on this second hour of today's Y'all Show. If you want to know what's going on business-wise around the Southeast, well, we take the time each week as part of our Southern Business Report to kind of bring you up to speed of business news and notes. And so today on today's y'all program, I'll let you know about how grocery prices are going up 
and we don't know when that's going to stop. And I'll tell you what I can, I'll tell you what I know, which is not a lot, but I'll try to make some sense of why your grocery prices are heading up. And I'll also tell you how banks like a certain Birmingham-based bank called Regions makes a lot of their money, and they make it off of you, and they specifically make it off of overdraft fees. I'll tell you the exact percentage of Regions Bank's revenue in 2020 from overdraft fees. Don't overdraft. Also, I have a Regions account. I don't like how they charge me sometimes for my account. I really don't like paying for the privilege of having a a darn checking account, but that's what they do. Regions, if you're listening, help help me out. Help a Southerner out. Help all of us out. If we've got an account with you, we probably shouldn't be having to pay for it, should we? But if they can get away with it, I think they will. Also, some other business news. The I hate to tell you this. It looks like the good old USPS, they're going to try to raise the cost of a first-class stamp to 58 cents. What? Yeah. That's that's the plan. I'll let you know as part of our business news. But that's coming up later this hour. Let's get into what's going on across the South here and our headlines of the land. And as I informed you earlier in the show, a little international incident going on right now. The biggest ship in the Iranian Navy has caught fire and has sunk in the Gulf of Oman. That's right there in the Persian Gulf area. And this big ship started to catch fire early in the morning today, and it sank near the Iranian port of Jask. And that's about 800 miles southeast of Tehran on the Gulf of Oman near the Strait of Hormuz, the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf. And this warship, the Karg, spelled K-H-A-R-G, named after the island that serves as the main oil terminal for the nation of Iran. This ship has gone down. And we don't know now this developing story of exactly how many people were on board, if there's been a tremendous loss of life or not. But yes, the warship was built in Britain and launched in 1977, entering the Iranian Navy in 1984 after negotiations that followed the 1979 Islamic Revolution. So it's a almost 50-year-old ship but is the largest ship in the Iranian Navy, and now it's gone down in the Gulf of Oman off of Iran's coast, and this could have a tremendous impact on world affairs here in the next couple of days and weeks. The largest meat producer in Australia, for sure, and one of the largest meat producers in the world, is getting back online after a cyber attack. JBS, it is based out of Brazil, And they said that they've made significant progress in dealing with a cyber attack that expected the vast majority of their plants around the world to be operating starting today. As Andre Negreira, the CEO of JBS USA, said, our systems are coming back online and we're not sparing any resources to fight this threat. The White House said that JBS had notified them of a ransom demand from a criminal organization that's likely based in Russia, And so they're pulling the same trick, it looks like, against JBS, these hackers that they pulled against the Colonial Pipeline of Georgia just a few weeks ago, and that sent gas prices out of control and the demand for gas out of control. And now, this week, we've got 
the meat supply coming under attack, and that's likely affecting both the price and the supply of meat. JBS, which has not stated publicly that the attack was ransomware, said the cyber attack affected servers supporting its operations here in North America as well as in Australia. Now, their plants in Australia, JBS's plants, did resume limited operations today, and I don't have the complete report on domestically what's happened. Now, JBS is a majority shareholder of Pilgrim's Pride, and they have not said which one of the 84 Pilgrim's Pride facilities in this country were closed, but some were closed Monday and Tuesday because of this attack. So just be very mindful when you're out shopping that you don't hoard meat products here in the next couple of days. We can likely, just like the toilet paper issue, get through this if we just act reasonably and we will be just fine. To Texas, Governor Greg Abbott is now very proud to announce that Texas has the fewest confirmed new COVID-19 cases perhaps since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And that's wonderful news. Greg Abbott from his official Twitter account saying, Today, Texas reported the fewest new confirmed COVID cases since I see them being tracked in March of 2020. The seven-day positivity rate dropped to a new all-time low of 2.78 percentage. The COVID, the COVID hospitalizations dropped to a one-year low. Fatalities fell to the third lowest in 14 months. So wonderful news from Texas and likely being echoed around the country with similar numbers going on right now. And, of course, Greg Abbott, many, many months ago, right after President Biden took office, came under attack from the 46th president for having Neanderthal thinking by opening up his state of Texas. And Mississippi did the exact same thing. Biden against the reopening. And here we are just a few months later. It looks like Texas is doing quite well on the COVID front. And that is welcome news for this state of Texas. It's welcome news for every one of our southern states. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy has said that he's going to run again in 2022, announcing his bid for re-election to the U.S. Senate representing the Pelican State. And his tweet that went out from his account, John Kennedy L.A., says, I promise I will always be your voice during the good times and the bad. Come hell or high water, your values will be my values. I will never be silent when the radical nut jobs tell me to sit down and shut up. Today, I announce my I'm running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. I'm going to take a, a gamble here and see if this clip might be worthy of playing because sometimes you just don't know if they might drop a surprise that you weren't quite expecting. And John Kennedy, I played some of his greatest hits in hour number one today of what he has said on the floor of the U.S. Senate in years past, months past, as he has an un- unbelievable Southern charm and Southern accent and frankly, I thought it'd been kind of fun to to hear that in hour one today. And this is the official campaign announcement video, at least from his Twitter account. And if it's if it's cleaned up and it's not too political, I'll let it play here for a few seconds. John Ken. Five years ago, I asked the people of Louisiana to give me a chance, a chance to represent them in the United States Senate. Since then, I've gotten up every day 
and I have worked hard, as hard as I can, to do just that. Five years ago, I made a promise, a promise that I took seriously. I told you I would work to put our country back on track and to make America great again. In the last five years, we've accomplished a lot, but now the socialists are racing to undo it all. So my job, our job, isn't finished. Today, I'm announcing that I'm running for re-election for the United States Senate. All right, John Kennedy. A little bit. I was waiting for the punchline there. I'm, it might be in this video somewhere, but we don't want to hear a political commercial from John Kennedy. We want to hear him say something funny. That's what I like about him. All right, that is the news from Louisiana. The news from North Carolina. One county there is looking to ban Coca-Cola vending machines in county buildings. <laughs> and why? Because they're not happy what ha- what Coca-Cola did in Coca-Cola's home state of Georgia in the last few months about the effort to overturn the Georgia legislation on voter integrity, if you will. And now Surrey County in North Carolina, that is where you'll find Dobson, North Carolina, they're looking to kick out Coca-Cola from county buildings. Now, Coca-Cola is trying to have a meeting. A spokesman for Coca-Cola Consolidated, that's a bottling company that is separate from Coke, said they're trying to meet with the county to figure this all out. But right now, this county looking to ban Coke from their own county buildings. And if you're addicted to Coke or Diet Coke or Dr. Pepper and you live in that county in North Carolina, you might want to go talk to your local elected county official and make a big push to keep Coke. However, every county in North Carolina, frankly, should be supporting their own soft drink, their own soft drink that is loved by many in that state. So they need to kick out Coca-Cola, in my opinion, and bring on at least two options. Yeah, they can bring on Pepsi-Cola, which was created in Newburn, North Carolina. Or better yet, there in that county in North Carolina and throughout the Tar Heel State, they just need to have, instead of Coca-Cola vending machines, they need to have cheer wine <laughs> throughout their county buildings in North Carolina. And I'm for cheer wine being available in more than North Carolina. If you haven't had a cheer wine lately, you're missing out. It's a delicious, refreshing alternative soft drink cherry cola cherry flavored it's darn good and if you have never had one if you are lucky enough to live in an area where another north carolina company is based or has a restaurant near you a little place called cookout every single location of cookout to my knowledge at least has cheer wine on tap and they even have a really cheap cheer wine shake that only cost a dollar it's essentially vanilla ice cream topped with cheer wine and you can get that at cookout locations throughout the southeast don't listen to me make up your own mind and you go tell me if i'm completely wrong on my ice cream and cheer wine analysis it is delicious and as i just told you it's only about a dollar it might be a little bit more depending on where you live but everywhere i've seen it's usually the cheapest shake option, which cookout shakes, which they have about 40 on the menu, are usually no more than 3 or $4. Some other places around our beloved Southland 
are charging five, six, even more for a, a shake. But we're in June now. You deserve that delicious shake of your choice when it gets to be 100 degrees outside. So that is good news to pass along on today's y'all show. What's not good news to pass along is the, I call it, theft of Nathan Bedford Forrest and his wife Mary from the spot they've been in eternal rest, what I thought would be eternal rest for them in downtown Memphis. Workers have started to remove General Nathan Bedford Forrest's remains and his wife from the park that once bore his name right next to Sun Records in downtown Memphis. As they arrived, workers Tuesday to dig up the remains of the Confederate general and move his body to Columbia, Tennessee, where the Sons of Confederate Veterans have come up with a national museum in recent years, and they're going to relocate Nathan Bedford Forrest remains the Civil War Confederate general from Memphis to Columbia, Tennessee. And I read this article. I know a lot about Forrest. I've done a lot of work on him, and I cannot stand to see AP articles with completely incorrect information on this general. And and I know he was not necessarily an Eagle Scout in his day, but they're making up things, and that that adds to why people dislike Forrest or Confederate stuff or Southern stuff, for that matter, when they just absolutely have incorrect things in articles from the Associated Press. This is not a, an opinion column that I'm getting some of this information from. But, yes, like him or hate him, the general looks like is being – taken away from Shelby County, which is where he's laid in rest since the 1870s when he passed away. I think in 1877 is when Nathan Bedford Forrest died some 12 years after the Civil War. Of course, he was a slave trader prior to becoming a Confederate officer, rose to be an incredible cavalry commander in the Confederate Army. And if you haven't read his story, you need to. He is, I like to say, the ultimate example of the civil war he represents the incredible bravery and the heroism and the lost cause of the confederacy literally having maybe just days away from winning the war and then he represents all of the negative he represents the killing he represents the slave issue Forrest was a slave trader before the civil war and he made a lot of money trading slaves in memphis and goes on to become this confederate guy who had never had any military experience prior to becoming a confederate soldier and then after the war he's accused of people in congress of the fort pillow massacre he has to go defend himself he's not found guilty of that he's also brought to washington because of the rise of the ku klux klan which many people said he helped start this article even says it here that i'm reading the park that he used to bear his name, the early Ku Klux Klan leaders, what this article today says. And that's not true. I, I encourage you to go to rebelforest.com and learn more about him. It's a little documentary I did some 18 years ago, and I covered all this. And so anyway, he was brought to D.C. He defended himself and, and was not found to be a leader of the Klan. And this is when he was alive in the 1870s. And here we have his body being moved to Columbia, Tennessee. And again, this is just another example of a monument statue, or in this case, a grave of a Civil War person 
completely being taken down, renamed, destroyed, hidden, stolen. I would say that's the case in some cases. There was a Jefferson Davis Park in Memphis, and they took the statue of Jefferson Davis down, and nobody knows where it is. It's it's essentially been stolen by the city of Memphis. New Orleans has done the same thing. It's it's okay for cities to enact changes and move stuff along the lines of following state law, but to literally just take it away from out of sight, out of mind, that's what they've done in a lot of these places. It's just wrong, absolutely wrong, and that that's what's happening here. This is one small twist here is that the bodies are being sent to Columbia and they will be presented in a proper way very soon. That is Nathan Bedford Forrest and his wife, where other statues like Lee Circle in New Orleans, who knows where that statue that had been there for a hundred plus years is and will it ever be on display again? Will it ever be given to a private landowner where it can be on display? Or is the goal to just, as I just said, out of sight, out of mind? That seems to be the more current thing going on around the country these days. All right, let's go to Virginia. And they're getting ready, starting July 1st in Virginia, to pass new legislation that essentially legalizes marijuana. Virginia is legalizing marijuana. And because of that, just like every other area in the South here in recent decades, Virginia's had a great lineup of heroes in blue. But these are not male heroes. These are our dogs, our canines, our dogs that are trained to search out for illegal drugs. And now drug-sniffing police dogs from around Virginia are being forced into early retirement following Virginia's effort to become the latest state to legalize marijuana. So if you're looking for a good dog, Virginia, because they're decriminalizing marijuana, they have a surplus of trained canine dogs, it looks like. And now a law that went into effect in March actually prohibits Virginia police from stopping or searching anyone based solely on the odor of marijuana. And now Virginia State Police retiring 13 canines while many smaller police departments in the state are also retiring one or two dogs because of the new laws being put into effect in Virginia. So if you're looking for a good canine dog that's trained in Virginia, now's the time to to get your puppy headed your way. How about this story from North Carolina? A woman becomes a millionaire after buying the wrong lottery ticket. Ended up getting $1.4 million. Talk about getting lucky. Talking about today is your day, Elizabeth Johnson. Yes, Miss Johnson had just missed the 9.57 p.m. cutoff to buy a Powerball ticket through online play for Wednesday's drawing from last week. And now she has won the lottery. She works as an interpreter and had rushed out of work to pick her numbers, but she was one minute too late. But it turns out her bad luck turned into good luck because a few days later, her ticket was good for Saturday's drawing, where she unexpectedly pulled in a $2 million prize, and with taxes taken out, ends up being just over the $1 million mark. Johnson, 
says that she was in shock. And she says, when I got the message saying that I'd won, I thought, well, I didn't even play tonight. But that's okay, Elizabeth Johnson. You're going to win the North Carolina Education Lottery's $2 million Powerball prize, and you'll have a great time. She says she plans to use her winnings on a house and a vacation. And as good news for this North Carolina woman, again, winning the Powerball. I don't have her town where she's from. I think that is not being released at this time, probably due to her own security or likely to avoid everybody who's ever claimed to be Elizabeth Johnson's relative calling up and saying, hey, Beth, Elizabeth, uh, whatever nicknames for Elizabeth are out there. Uh, let, let's let's go down here and have a good meal together. Let, let, let me borrow some money. I got a bill I got to pay. Uh, yeah. Elizabeth, you might just want to take a long vacation now that you've become the latest winner of the North Carolina Powerball Education Lottery there in the state of North Carolina, and you didn't even think you would even be in the running for it. Way to go. Way to go. All right, we've got more y'all goodness coming your way here. We'll have more headlines also in hour number three. When we come back, a quick look at Southern business, what's going on in the business world of the Southland. We'll have that information also this hour. An author spotlight, as we have a great author stopping by, and we'll learn a lot more about what his latest book is called. It is called Navigating Life Journey. Richard V. Battle will be on in just a little bit here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. So stick around for the fun. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And remember, you can catch us here. 803-816-1170 is the way to get in touch with the show that covers everything Southern. fired welcome back it's y'all talk with a southern accent with your host john rawl wednesday second hour let's move over to tell you a little bit about what's going on business wise around the southeast and if you've been to the grocery store lately prices are going up no change in sight it appears why is that the latest numbers from the bureau of labor stats show a 0.4 increase in food items the food both at home and away from home for the month of April for all urban consumers. That was a 2.4 increase over the past 12 months. Big numbers, big changes. The rise in grocery prices began at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and not likely to reverse anytime in the near future. Increases seen in all 52 food categories. That's tracked by the consumer data analytics company Nielsen IQ. Baked goods. That's up. Seafood, diet foods up. Price increases over the past 13 weeks are less dramatic with the exception of seafood, but the increases for prepared foods and meats are higher. And I just told you earlier in the show about how 
one of the nation's biggest meat suppliers, had a ransomware attack, it appears, and that is not a good thing to pass along to you as well. You also have had disruptions in the supply chain. Grocery supply chains made up of three major components, production, processing, and retail. And so you've had disruptions, weather, population fluctuations also causing some problems with the supply chain. And let's be honest, we've also seen higher demand. People at home started baking and cooking a lot more than they've ever done. And so therefore, you've had a higher demand of food. Suppliers, to ease a bit of the pain early in the pandemic, suppliers work to shift high-demand products from shuttered restaurants to grocery stores. I don't know if they're doing that these days or not. And then add all of this up, you've got another issue going on with the food chains. Transportation costs. Gas prices have doubled since Joe Biden has taken office. And then you've had the Colonial Pipeline that has also had a disruption. So a lot of factors. And then you got people who don't want to work. And so the grocery stores are having problems having anybody work there and and all these other factors. It explains why gas or not gas prices, grocery prices and gas prices are going up and no change in sight. It's not a pretty time right now if you're trying to save money. It's also not a pretty time if you're a region's bank customer and you let them take money for overdraft instances on your account. Overdraft fees made up nearly 5% of region's bank's revenue in 2020. That's more than any other regional bank's haul from their own customers. Bloomberg reported that Regions was the regional bank most dependent on overdraft charges among a bunch of banks listed. J.P. Morgan collected the most revenue in dollar terms with almost $1.5 billion coming in. Wells Fargo had $1.3 billion. But when you break it down to percentages, Regions Bank with fees from overdraft instances accounting for almost 5% of the revenue in 2020. And if you're a Regions Bank customer, you're sitting here thinking, they got me. Regions charges a fee of $36 each time it pays an overdraft and says it will charge no more than five paid overdraft item fees and returned item fees per day. Regions, in a response to Bloomberg's report this week, referenced a comment in January by its CFO, David Turner, saying that, quote, continuing enhancements to our overdraft practices and transaction postings will likely keep service fees below levels seen before the coronavirus pandemic. Regions based in Birmingham, Alabama. More business news from throughout the South, yes, uh, here on today's Y'all Show. U.S. manufacturing activity has grown for the 12th straight month. Hey, some positive news here to tell you about. Growth in manufacturing picking up in May, even as supply chain problems persist, and businesses are having to get past their effort to find workers. Yes, supply chain problems, more that's not stopping U.S. manufacturing. The Institute for Supply Management, that is a trade group of purchasing managers, announcing Tuesday that its index of manufacturing activity rose in the month of May to a reading of 61.2% in May, and that's up from 60.7% in April. And that's welcome news. Millions of Americans now vaccinated, 
Most of the U.S. is back to business as usual, so the manufacturing sector is still having to struggle to keep up with demand, and that's generally considered not a bad problem to have. However, there's been shortages of raw materials, lumber, metals, plastics, and more, and that's made it difficult for manufacturers to make and deliver products on time, but they're also having, in addition to those problems, finding employment, finding people who want to work, and that's delayed a little bit of the problem. But the positive news here is that activity is growing, and it's been growing for a year now. And here the reports in from May, U.S. manufacturing activity continues to grow for a 12th straight month. Now, just to tick you off here before we wrap up our business news on today's Y'all Show, the U.S. Postal Service says it wants to raise rates on first-class stamps $0.03 cents from $0.55 to $0.58. Cents. And that's part of a host of price hikes and service changes designed to reduce debt for the beleaguered United States Postal Service. $0.58. Cents. Why don't they just go ahead and start charging a dollar? You know that's where they want to go. You know that's where they, if they had their way, would be there. The request for the changes, which would take effect August 29th, was filed with the Postal Regulatory Commission. Included with this are price hikes for first-class mail, magazines, and marketing mailers. The price hikes are part of Postmaster General Louis DeJoy's 10-year plan for the U.S. Postal Service, which faces an estimated $160 billion in operating losses over the next decade. So they're proposing. We'll see if it happens. I'm telling you, it's going to be a dollar before you know it. Postal Service, op- not not official, but hoping to raise the price of your stamp to $0.58. Cents. See, for those of us who are romantics, we just like to send a real letter to our sweethearts instead of an email or a text. And here's the good old government getting in our way again. As if we don't have enough problems in today's world now, we got to fight Uncle Sam on the price of sending a, a love letter to our sweethearts. Now, 58 cents. Do you know how much money I could save if you would just not do that, Uncle Sam? I, I got I got sweethearts around the world that are counting on me to get that letter in the mail. Oh, who am I? Who am I fooling? I, I oh I, I don't have anybody. I'm just I'm just joking. Emails work just fine, I guess, but I still don't think they should be raising the rates up. Come on. Lewis DeJoy, you should know better. When we come back on the All Show, we're going to switch over to talking about books. I don't think they're raising the rate on media mail. I didn't read, hear, read about that just now. We're going to be talking to author Richard V. Battle. He's got the book Navigating Life's Journey, and Richard is going to be on with me next to talk about his newest read. The Texan author is up next on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Stay tuned for the great conversation.
named Thomas Paine once wrote about common sense. We could use a little common sense all over the country and world right now. Welcome back to the Y'all Show, Talk with a Southern Accent. I am John Rawl, and we are going to get a little common sense here on the program that's all about the South, courtesy of a new book out by author Richard V. Battle. It's called Navigating Life's Journey, and Mr. Battle is tuning us in right now from the Lone Star State of Texas, and we're going to learn about his book and his very, very lengthy and colorful career in business and how he's gone around the country speaking and more. He's authored nearly 10 books now, and Richard Battle is on the Y'all Show to talk about navigating life's journey. That's the cover of the new book, and Richard is on with us right now on the Y'all Show. Hello, Richard. Welcome to Y'all. As my parents used to say, thank God, home folks at last. We're doing fantastic, and we're glad for the leadership we have in this state compared to some of our neighbors, especially in some of the conditions we've been going through the last year or so, and uh, we're just grateful to be here. That That is true. Of course, you've got a very uh, well-known leadership there with your governor there and Lieutenant Governor Moore in Texas, and and Texas has done some things unlike a lot of states, as you referenced there, in the coronavirus fight. We're going to talk about that and how we can use a little common sense in navigating life's journey. Richard Battle, businessman extraordinaire and a guy who has worked for a long time in business and more. And he's on with us right now. Richard, how did you get involved in writing books? As we said, this is nearly the 10th book that you've penned. Well, that's a interesting question. And I never had a dream of writing one book. And if you were to find my high school English teachers, they probably never dreamed I'd read a book, much less write one. Uh, But the first book I authored was 32 years ago, and it was based on a personal experience leading a volunteer organization and doing some training. And I found it to be a way I could share ideas more permanently than from a speaking platform only. And the results of this point are seven books, all based on personal experiences uh, that I've had during that intervening 30-year period. Is using some common sense. And what was it about what was going on in the world that had you think, you know, maybe we all could use a little common sense? Well, I believe common sense is always in style and never goes out of season. But when we watch the world around us today, it appears that there are a lot of people that have forgotten what common sense is uh, with some of the things that we see. So in Navigating Life's Journey, I share 40 principles uh, that are those, not that I invented, but those that built the greatest country in the history of the world with over 250 examples and 75 motivational quotes that I try to share with people to reaffirm the values that they grew up with that are still practical today, despite the insanity that we see. And I try to share values that people can show their children to help bring them up and reinstill the importance of 
what built our country so that we can get back to those values again. Navigating Life's Journey, the new book that's out by Mr. Battle, and he's been in business a long time and has been a business analyst throughout his career, in addition to writing, as he said, seven books in the time that he's out there. And you referenced a moment ago where you live near Austin, Texas, a leadership paradigm there in the Lone Star State that has done well throughout this coronavirus, although Texas has been hit hard, just like everybody. We don't want to discount the losses and the the suffering that the Lone Star State's seen, but the leadership in Texas has really been something to behold for quite some time, as you've had Rick Perry in the past appointed you to a board there in Texas and more, and so maybe Texas could teach a lesson to all y'all, Richard. All y'all are important to all of us, and I appreciate that. Yes, our statewide leadership, I think, is exemplary. The local leadership in the city is totally the opposite. And during the COVID pandemic, as the local leadership has tried to restrict people in the manner like New York and California, the governor has done what I call play whack-a-mole with the mayor. Every time the mayor tries to restrict citizens from acting, the governor plays whack-a-mole with him and, and lets him know who's running the state and what rules will be set versus the local city rules. And to me, it's, it's a great example of the difference of leadership styles uh, versus liberal versus conservative. And I don't believe our numbers are any worse than those in states that have been locked down much tighter than we have. One thing, if you're not familiar with the way Texas politics works, something that maybe every southern state ought to take a leadership role and and change, is in Texas, unlike I think every state I'm aware of in the South, the state government, when they convene in Austin, they don't do that but once every other year, something other states might want to kind of mimic at some point. Well, absolutely, and we meet every other year. And there are some people who must be from California coming in now trying to advocate meeting every year. And the old joke used to be that the legislature meets for 140 days every other year. But there are a lot of us that would would wish that it would meet for two days every 140 years, because the more often they meet, it seems like the more damage they do to our liberty. Navigating Navigating. Life's Journey is the new book from Richard V. Battle, Common Sense and Uncommon Times. And this, again, has a little bit of the, I guess, connection to what's going on politically here in the world. But even outside of politics, one reason we have Richard on is this book is applicable in business. It's applicable in life. In terms of life, Richard, in your bio, you've got something a lot of us in the South have unfortunately had to add to our bios and that is you've been through a divorce and sadly something that hopefully hardly any of us have had to go through you've also lost a child and you write about that so talk about how you've navigated your life's journey in difficult times first thing is i've had some tremendous successes Uh, But I have had some challenges. I survived an apartment fire. My neighbor died in, uh, got financially devastated in the real estate bust in the 80s, lost my only son. And then a few years ago, in one 10-month period, went through a divorce, two heart procedures, and a cancer diagnosis. And my faith is what helped me get through all of those challenges. Uh, My faith, which is experiential now, has given me 
the guidance to do some of these things and try to share and help other people as we go forward. Because when I lost my son, uh, I was crushed. And but my faith helped me to get through that and show me how I should share ideas with others to try to help them in whatever challenges they go through in life. And I can see our creator's hand in everything I've ever accomplished that's good and in helping me get through everything that's been tough. Richard, how old was your son when he passed away? He was only nine months old and he had never even had a fever and then passed in the night. But it could have been even worse uh, because we could have not had him. We could have not had him as long. He could have suffered. Uh, I served in the guard with a guy who lost three children in a fire one night. So as bad as it was, like many other things in life, it could have been much worse. And looking back, I can see that now. And I appreciate that perspective uh, beyond when I had the loss occur. Richard, if you were to talk to, and I'm sure you have talked to others who've lost children, is there some kind of part of navigating life's journey that you relay to them to help them in their struggle? Well, there is there, but the second book I authored was a book called Surviving Grief by God's Grace. And that was a book that I never intended to write, but I had journaled. One of the two, two ways I grieved was I read everything I could get my hands on from a Christian perspective about losing a child. And I journaled and about five months after I lost my son, a couple at our church lost a son and I copied my journal notes of what I had gone through to share with them. And it was they and my pastor who suggested writing that down and sharing that with other people who could help them in their situation. And just recently I had a lady uh, come out and tell me how much she enjoyed it when I was in the public one day. I didn't even know who she was. And, and that book had been published 18 years ago, but it still helps. And I'm so grateful because it adds impact to my son's too short life. That's Richard V. Battle. And Richard, appreciate him coming on the Y'all Show and a great Texas writer and a touching way to wrap that up, talking about his own child's passing. Just a tough thing that Unfortunately, a lot of us have had to go through, not me, but a lot of us here in the South have had to go through the loss of a child. And, of course, Richard talking about that subject in at least one of his books. When we come back, Book Talk continues on this Wednesday Y'all Show. I've got a quick look at the New York Times bestsellers, and one of these number one books has a connection to the University of Virginia. We'll tell you about Laura Dave when the Y'all Show Book Report continues after this timeout. All right, wrapping up this second hour of the Wednesday Y'all Show, looking at books. Thanks again to Richard V. Battle for being on in the previous segment and the book that he's got out, his 10th book. You can go check it out. It's Navigating Life's Journey. Richard, sorry, your book's not in the current top bestsellers from the New York Times, but maybe thanks to the interview on today's Y'all Show, it'll get there real soon. What is atop the New York Times bestsellers chart? 21st birthday, James Patterson co-wrote that. It's number five on the 
bestsellers ebook fiction category. Four is Delia Owens, the North Carolina-based author and Where the Crawdads Sing. Number three is Project Hail Mary from Andy Weir. Number two is Charlottesville, Virginia author and former Oxford, Mississippi resident John Grisham. And Suley, S-O-O-L-E-Y, is the name of that newest read from John Grisham. And topping the New York Times bestsellers ebook fiction and print combination here this week is Laura Dave and The Last Thing He Told Me. That's been out three weeks on the bestsellers, and it's number one this week. Laura Dave is a graduate of the University of Virginia. She got her postgraduate work there. She grew up in New York and worked her way south for her education. She then became a freelance journalist for ESPN, and her works through the years include The Divorce Party, The First Husband, Hello Sunshine was out in 2017, and then this newest book, The Last Thing He Told Me. In 2006, Universal Studios optioned the rights for London is the Best City in America. That was her first book, and that was a option that was going to star... Reese Witherspoon. Also, Universal Studios optioned The Divorce Party. Jennifer Aniston's production company, Echo Films, got the rights on that. And speaking of Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon and Julia Roberts and Laura Dave are making a movie together as we speak. And I think it's the movie rights for this newest book, The Last Thing He Told Me. Yes, as she and Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine Company are going to be working on this newest book. It's a much-anticipated novel, and it's going to be a limited series on Apple TV+. And Julia Roberts is starring and co-producing in this book. Julia Roberts from Georgia, Reese Witherspoon from Nashville or Franklin, Williamson County. We'll just leave it at that. All working together with this UVA alum, Laura Dave and the upcoming series for apple tv plus the last thing he told me how about that that again the number one bestseller right now from laura dave ebook non-fictions and print non-fictions john green's the anthropocene revealed also zero fail from carol lenning killing the mob bill o'reilly's latest book noise it's a book co-written by authors including daniel kennerman and also number five this week is Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey's What Happened to You. That's number five on the combined print and ebook nonfiction list from the New York Times. And that's our book report. Hopefully, you all aced it right here on today's Y'all Show. We'll come back with a whole other hour of talk about the South. Don't miss out on the fun. We are going to switch over from book talk to movie talk in hour number three. Clint Eastwood's 10 Best Movies Ranked, an author with advanced local has penned this article and i'm going to walk through it and get your opinion if you want to be involved our number 803-816-1170 what is your favorite clint eastwood movie we'll discuss it hour three plus give you the latest sports news and more it's y'all talk with a southern accent thank you for tuning us in great radio stations across the southeast and for all of you who catch us each and every day on podcast options like Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, Stitcher app, and of course, everybody who listens to us each and every day at y'all.com, the homepage of the South. More Y'all with John Rawl is coming up right after the break, y'all. Y'all. 
the homepage of DixieIsYall.com, and Y'all.com is proud to present this third hour of discussion about all things below the good old Dixon Mason line. It is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. I'm John Rawl. How are you guys doing on this Wednesday? We're it, Man, it seems like this is our fourth day of the work week, and we are almost home. But we're not. We're only on the technically second work day for most of us. <laughs> if you were lucky enough to have off Monday for Memorial Day, yeah, you're, you're kind of slacking up probably here this week with only a four-day work week. But if you are working hard and you've been working hard all week, thank you for, first of all, working hard, but thank you also for tuning in to talk with a southern accent on this abbreviated work week for most across the southeast here. We're not abbreviating today's y'all show. We're keeping the southern hits coming on today's program here in this third hour. Clint Eastwood, we're going to go ahead and give him the title of honorary southerner as the now 91-year-old acting legend had a birthday on Monday and to celebrate and honor Clint Eastwood here, thanks to advanced locals Ben Flanagan, he has an article up that we're going to discuss, Clint Eastwood's 10 Best Movies Ranked. Will you agree or disagree with Mr. Flanagan? We'll have all that coming up in the next segment of here of Talk with a Southern Accent. John Rawl, good to have everybody part of Talk with a Southern Accent. And we're going to have fun and hold each other's hands and get through the fun together and just uh, make it an incredible last hour on what I consider to be an incredible episode of the y'all show so we have that coming your way here hour number three also we have a quick look at some more news and notes going on across the southeast today from a news standpoint i still have to tell y'all about how a myrtle beach that's where we'll go a message in a bottle sent from myrtle beach in 1987 has now washed ashore in florida were you the person who sent that thing we'll tell you about that also in East Tennessee, a boat dealer is offering a $100,000 prize if you catch a fish there in the Bristol-Johnson City-Kingsport area in just the next couple of days. Craig Faulkner, where are you? <laughs> I'm going to go cast a line for the chance to win $100,000. And this is not just for some kind of professional fisherman. In Anybody, I think, is eligible here. I'll have the details later this hour also we'll tell you about a new eiffel tower coming to paris kentucky where the heck is paris kentucky i'll tell you here in this third hour as we glance over some of the news headlines from across the southeast we'll start out this hour though talking a little sports did you see any of the nba action on tuesday as the playoffs winding their way through the month now of June. And we've already seen one team be shown the exit door here in round one as they have been eliminated. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But, yeah, you had NBA action Tuesday. The Lakers, they might as well be heading to the exits. They got beat by 30 points to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, LeBron might be – having a lot more time to do some social justice warrioring if his team continues to play like it did on Tuesday as the Lakers fell to the Suns by 30 points. That final result coming from the Valley. 
where Phoenix is located, 115.85. LeBron James had to go to the locker room early. Got a little nicked up there in the blowout loss to the Phoenix Suns. The Lakers only scored 10 points in the entire second quarter. So at half, they trailed 66 to 36. They were down 30 points at halftime. And then they lost by 30 points, 115.85. 10 points was the total scored by the purple and gold big city Lakers in that second quarter. And the Suns just kept putting them in the net, and they got the big win. Phoenix now takes a 3-2 series lead in that Western Conference first-round matchup. Also out of the Western Conference on Tuesday, it was a survival of the fittest, and in the end, the Nuggets get the seven-point victory in double overtime. Denver wins 147-140 to over Portland. Now that series goes to the advantage of Denver as Denver has a 3-2 series lead, game six forthcoming. And then you have the Boston Celtics will have plenty of time to do whatever they want to since their season has come to an end. The Brooklyn Nets, 123-109 to over the Seas, and now the Nets advance to the second round after Harden had a triple-double that helped his Brooklyn Nets get to the second round. James Harden, the can you call it transfer like they do in college, the transfer in from the Houston Rockets, and now the Nets moving on to the second round after a 123-109 to thumping over the Boston Celtics on Tuesday. What's on tap in the NBA here on this Wednesday? You've got the 76ers with a chance to wrap up their series with the Washington Wizards. Wells Fargo Center hosts this game starting at 7 Eastern Philly time. And if they win, it'll be all she wrote for the Wizards for 2021. The Atlanta Hawks with a chance to wrap up their series. They're going to be playing in Madison Square Garden against the Knickerbockers. This game set for TNT at 7.30, New York City time. Grizzlies better get off the mat. They're down 3-1 in their series to the Utah Jazz. And tonight in Salt Lake City, you'll have a chance to see Utah and Memphis taking on each other in Game 5 of this Western Conference first-round matchup. The L.A. Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks have a series knotted up at two games apiece, and the Staples Center host this evening's matchup between the Clips and the Mavs. That's set for a 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Dallas time tip from the Staples Center, and that's what's happening from a NBA standpoint here on this Wednesday. Major League Baseball, Steven Strasburg had to leave the game on Tuesday against the Atlanta Braves early in that one as he had a tight right trapezius muscle and therefore he's now having to leave the nationals went on to win 11-6 over the bravos dave martinez is the manager of washington and he said that it uh, just was kind of a no-brainer they had to get him out of the lineup as strasburg just couldn't find the control of his fastball and it was quite obvious that he was having some issues going into the middle of the game against the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday. Strasburg having an MRI today, according to Dave Martinez. And this is a guy who barely pitched in 2020 and has some injury problems. 
here in 2021 already. And now Steven Strasburg exiting the game against the Braves on Tuesday. But to the Nationals' credit, they found a way to win. Today, throughout Major League Baseball, it is Lou Gehrig Day. Lou Gehrig died on this date, June 2nd, 1941, after a battle with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And today, Major League Baseball putting out efforts to honor and remember this great New York Yankee baseball player who played throughout the 20s and 1930s, died in 1941 at the age of 37 years old. Every team with a home game today will display four ALS logos in their ballpark, and that commemorates Lou Gehrig's jersey number. So it's the number four and then ALS. All players, managers, and coaches will wear a Lou Gehrig Day patch on their uniforms. A red 4ALS wristband will be available to be worn in-game as well. Teams that are off Wednesday will observe Lou Gehrig Day on Thursday. Steve Gleason, the former New Orleans Saints safety whose fight with ALS is captured in the documentary Gleason, will synthetically recite a portion of Gehrig's famous Luckiest Man speech in a video narrated by Cal Ripken Jr., and produced by the MLB Network. So that is a good thing going on there from this former New Orleans Saint. Lou Gehrig Day t-shirts available for purchase. Royalty is going to expanded access protocol program at the Healy Center for ALS. On July 4th weekend, MLB will release their first non-fungible token, a one-of-one Gehrig's Luckiest Man speech from July 4th, 1939. Proceeds from the sale of this go to support ALS charities. So that's a really neat thing to tell you about here. Lou Gehrig Day, the first ever being held in 2021 at ballparks around the country. Lou Gehrig, the Yankee slugger, who was a tremendous baseball player, seven-time All-Star, eight, or rather six-time world champion for the New York Yankees, the only team he played for from 1923 to 1939, Triple crown winner, 1934, two-time AL MVP, was a captain. His number four retired by the New York Yankees and just a tremendous man who played college baseball for the Columbia University Lions in New York City. He was from the New York area and went on to be a Yankee hero before having a fight with ALS, a mitotrophic lateral sclerosis, a progressive neurodegenerative disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and the spinal cord. And it's also commonly known as Lou Gehrig disease. On July 4th, 1939, Lou Gehrig announced his departure from baseball before a sold-out Yankee stadium. It's that famous speech I know you've heard portions of before. And here on Lou Gehrig Day on the Y'all Show, we're going to take just a minute to hear from this Yankee great in his last public appearance before he died just two years later from ALS in his 30s, late 30s, Lou Gehrig was. Here is that famous speech from 1939 at Yankee Stadium. For the past two weeks, weeks, you've been reading about a bad bad break. Today, Today, I consider myself myself the luckiest man man on the face of the 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 earth. When you look around, 
Wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as a standing in uniform in this ballpark today? That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. And that was Lou Gehrig on July 4th, nineteen. 19- 39 before New York Yankee fans in the Bronx, and that was his last public appearance before he died two years later at just 37 years old and died of ALS. And today, Major League Baseball, we often don't give MLB a lot of positive publicity on today's, on this y'all show, and frankly, on other sports outlets. I have been very critical of Major League Baseball from moving the All-Star game in Atlanta to some of the greed involved last year and not getting their season up and going and only playing a 60-game season in 2020. And now, today at least, Major League Baseball doing a great thing. And, man, it would be incredible if we could find a way to cure ALS and, and just not have this dreadful disease happen for so many now across the world and certainly right here in the South. So many famous people. We've lost a lot of people famous besides Lou Gehrig to this disease but even if you're not famous it is just a dreadful thing to have als.org is a website you can go to it's the ALS association to learn more and to contribute and try to find a way to stop this to my knowledge death sentence if you were to get ALS and and it's just a a terrible thing and Lou Gehrig we honor him today on Lou Gehrig Day in Major League Baseball. When we come back on the Y'all Show, talk with a Southern accent, we're going to talk about another great icon of the 20th century, not Lou Gehrig, but Clint Eastwood. And Lou Lou didn't make it to the 21st century, but Clint Eastwood has, and he's still making people's head turns and eyes go, wow, that's Clint Eastwood. And we've got a really fun article that has just been published by Ben Flanagan, and it's about Clint Eastwood's 10 best movies ranked how do you stack up your list of clint eastwood movies to ben flanagan's list we'll talk about it next here on talk with a southern accent Doesn't believe in strings Long-term obligations Are just unnecessary things But girl, you got me thinking While I'm drinking one more beer If I'm headed for a heartache Then why the hell am I still here? I'm testing my resistance And it's wearing mighty thin I've got the feeling I should leave Before the roof caves in My mind tells me to move along But my body begs me stay And now I feel the need To hold you close And love the night away While you're turning Every which way, but lose you 
which way but lose Inside the fire's burning me In my mind you just keep burning me Every which way but lose Eddie Rabbit was a great song from the late 70s. That song was the theme song, the title track of a movie by the same name. A movie that starred Clyde. (laughs) I bet y'all hadn't thought about Clyde in a long time. Clyde was not a human being. He was the orangutan in this movie that was an action comedy film that Clyde starred alongside a guy named Clint Eastwood. Happy 91st birthday here this week to Clinton Eastwood Jr., born in San Francisco, May 31st, 1930. 91-year-old Clint Eastwood. Born in San Fran, not in the South. But is there a more Southern guy that was never born in the South than Clint Eastwood or even lived in the South? I know he's filmed several things here in the southeast throughout his career but what a what a beloved guy what a cool guy clint eastwood former mayor of carmel by the sea in california was mayor there for two years back in the late 1980s i like how this song ends did you know that clint eastwood was once in the united states army i did not know that that was before he started showing up on things like gun and more but yeah he was born in 1930 at the saint francis memorial hospital in san francisco and oh, just just an amazing career that he's had and still to my knowledge still active so active that songs and movies like any which way but loose you have to wonder, are they among Clint Eastwood's best movies? Are they every which way but lose? Is it, is it in his top ten? I think it would be, but that's not how some people think. That's not how Ben Flanagan thinks. Ben is a writer for Advanced Local, and he's just penned an article that's out right now. You can go check it out at AL.com. Clint Eastwood's ten best movies ranked in honor of of the veteran actor and director and just great American, Clint Eastwood. That article up right now. And you know we got to take a look at it and weigh in with our thoughts on the 10 best Clint Eastwood movies ranked. As actor and director, his films have grossed nearly $3 billion worldwide. His last film was based here in the South, Richard Jewell. And he's still putting out amazing work. And that movie came out, what, two years ago? So he was in his late 80s when that one arrived. Here, according to Ben Flanagan of AL.com, this is his list of 10 best Clint movies, Clint Eastwood movies ranked. How did old Clinton do in his career, according to Flanagan? He's got at number 10, The Mule, which is a fantastic movie. It just came out three years ago. Clint starred in that. Remember, he was a drug runner. It cleared $100 million at the box office. So even at 88 years young, Clint Eastwood can make a great movie like that. And it was filmed in Georgia, at least portions of it. The Mule, 2018. That is, according to this article, one of the 10 best Clint Eastwood movies. 
Number nine. I've not seen this one. What do y'all think of White Hunter Blackheart? Based loosely on the legendary John Huston's production of The African Queen. The film finds Eastwood as a director whose desire to hunt down elephants and other big game creates turmoil behind the scenes. Sounds pretty interesting. White Hunter Blackheart from 1990, one of the top ten Clint Eastwood films according to this article. Number eight. I've seen this one. I'm still freaked out by the dummy they created there in the prison to make him look like he was asleep. (laughs) Escape from Alcatraz from 1979. One of the several films that Clint has filmed right there in his birth city of San Francisco. That out 79 about the 1962 prisoner escape from maximum security prison Alcatraz Island in California. Number eight on this list. Number seven, play Misty for me. It kicked off Clint Eastwood's directing career when it came out in 1971. So this is, according to this article, one of the best of the Clint Eastwood movies we've ever had. Number six. Now this one's pretty cool because it's one of the only movies ever made that in some way show a positive light on a Confederate and or former Confederate soldier. And that's what you have with 1976 outlaw Josie Wells about Eastwood starring as a Missouri farmer turned feared gunslinger who goes on the hunt for the Union soldiers who murdered his family. One of the best movies, according to this article, The Outlaw Josie Wells, 1976. 1993, I love this movie. What a great movie. In the Line of Fire, where he plays a Secret Service agent determined to stop a very scary John Malkovich playing the role of an assassin. That one will put you, your heart pounding. Uh, Love that movie, 1993's In the Line of Fire. Number four, how about this one? He had a couple of buddies alongside him in this one. Million Dollar Baby. Morgan Freeman. Charleston, Mississippi's own was one of his co-stars. Hillary Swank also in that one. Million Dollar Baby from 2004, one of the top 10 Clint Eastwood movies, according to this article at Advanced Local. Number three, maybe the movies that really took Clint Eastwood from TV fame to movie fame, the original from 1971, Dirty Harry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, let me, <laughs> don't don't let I'm not, I'm terrible at movie quotes. Let me let me get it right here. The classic line from this: You got to ask yourself one question: Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And I think somewhere in there he goes, "Go ahead, make my day." <laughs> but what a gun! I mean, I'm not into handguns. I wouldn't mind holding one of them. Was that a 38 that he had in that movie? I mean. A massive gun. I would not want to be hit by a bullet from that gun. I don't think any of us would be having a good day if Dirty Harry shows up and that gun also shows up on the scene. We would not feel lucky. No, punk. I don't feel lucky. Dirty Harry on this list at number three of the 10 best movies ranked of Clint Eastwood. No, Man, there's so many good movies. You know something's going to get left off. Let's go to the 60s. 
The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Clint Eastwood starring in this one. And this would help launch him into superstardom. This Spaghetti Western trilogy. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Why are they called Spaghetti Westerns? Because they were filmed in Italy, of all places. They could go there, film cheap. And here they've got this. Maybe by the 1966 time period, Clint Eastwood, if he's born in 30, he would be 36 years old. He could have been considered a washed-up sitcom star at that point of the 1960s. And here he goes to Italy and films The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And it becomes, on this list of Clint Eastwood films, the number two on the top ten best movies of Clint Eastwood's career, according to AL.com's Ben Flanagan. And the number one movie, according to Flanagan, on this list, and if you have your own Clint Eastwood movie list, for goodness sakes, we want to hear about it here on the Y'all Show. And I've got an immediate complaint that I'm going to be filing with Ben because the movie that I love Clint Eastwood in, and I have to really think about it, it's probably several that I love him in, but this one was awesome from a few years ago. Unfortunately, that movie is not on this list. Ben Flanagan's got as the number one movie in Clint Eastwood's amazing career that stretched for decades upon decades. His first, let me go, let me actually pull up his very first film credit and even his first television credit. Let's see. His bio is so big, I'm not sure I can pull it all up here. Uh, Clint Eastwood discography. I don't want to pull that up. Yeah, he's actually had some songs on country music radio. I know that for a fact. His first film role was uncredited, 1955's Revenge of the Creature. And his first credit of a film is Francis in the Navy. Have you all seen that one? He played the role of Jonesy in 1955. Those were his movies. And... He has a movie listed right now that he's working on, Cry Macho. Cry Macho, which he directs and stars in. And it's not out quite yet. It is based on the 1975 novel of the same name by N. Richard Nash. And so look for a new Clint Eastwood movie coming soon. After a Kentucky Kentucky Derby winning horse breeder loses his wife and child, he sinks into an alcoholic depression. In 1978, he takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom, but the journey is more challenging than expected. Cry Macho, Clint Eastwood, stars and directs, and it is coming out. It's scheduled for an October release date. How about that? 91-year-old Clint Eastwood with a brand-new movie coming this year. Awesome. He plays the role of Mike Milo in that one. That's the film career of Clint Eastwood. What about his TV career? His television career got going in 1955, just like his film career, as he is credited with being an orderly in the TV film Alan in Movie Land, 1955. He also, one of his first roles on TV was Highway Patrol. He had the role of Joe Keeley in 1955. Clint Eastwood. He hasn't done a whole lot of TV work here lately. In fact, he hasn't starred in a TV show since 
Rawhide, which he starred in that up until 1965, 59 to 65. And I know he's been in other movies and westerns and stuff. I thought he was on Gunsmoke. Maybe I'm wrong. He was on Rawhide, Maverick. He was on, um, these are shows that he was on at least one episode of. Death Valley Days. He was on two episodes of that back in, y'all remember that, 1956, Clint Eastwood. But yes, the top 10 movies here, according to this fella from AL.com, he's got Unforgiven as the number one Clint Eastwood movie from 1992. Some people say that's one of the best modern westerns ever made. Clint Eastwood there in that one. Unforgiven, 1992. So let me go through the list real quickly. Number one, Unforgiven. Number two on the top 10 Clint Eastwood best movies. Number two, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Number three, Dirty Harry. Number four, Million Dollar Baby. Number five, good one, In the Line of Fire. Number six, The Outlaw Josie Wells. Number seven, he's got Play Misty for Me. Number eight, Escape from Alcatraz. Number nine, White Hunter Blackheart. And the number 10 on the list of top 10 best movies, according to this writer from AL.com, The Mule. And that came out in 2018. Ben Flanagan pinned this. Go check it out, AL.com. Clint Eastwood's 10 best movies ranked. I'm upset he doesn't have Gran Torino on there. I love that movie where he was an older gentleman living in Detroit. That's one of the best Clint Eastwood movies on my list of movies. And then the the movie where they stormed the castle over there uh, in Germany in World War II and they have that daring raid. That, that's a that's a really good Clint Eastwood movie, in in my opinion. But who's asking me? Who is asking y'all? Well, y'all, I want to know what y'all think. Y'all continues. We're going to switch over from talking about Clint Eastwood, an honorary Southerner, an honorary great Southern American here on the Y'all Show. Going to talk about some of the headlines across the Southeast and some of the more fun stuff going on across the Southland today. That continues as we wrap up this third hour of talk about Clint Eastwood and a whole lot more. sing till the feeling gets right well let's harmonize we'll be dynamite i hold the little high notes i've done it for years good deal old buddy and i'll pour the beers there's always some lady alone at the bar yeah and you always let her know just who you are i know a couple gals that we can call damn they'll shake the picture right off of you while we're, we're barroom buddies and that's the best kind Nobody fools with a buddy of mine I laugh when you're happy And I cry when you're blue We're barroom buddies and we're doing fine So pour me another, we got nothing but time Old chug-a-lug-a-luggin', barroom buddy of mine All right, we're kind of on a Clint Eastwood theme here And that was a song that went to number one in 1980 With a fellow Californian that ought to be from the South Merle Haggard and Clint Eastwood teaming up there with that song Barroom Buddies from Clint Eastwood's movie Bronco Billy. Probably been a while since you heard Barroom Buddies 
on any kind of radio station or podcast. Eh? But number one for Clint Eastwood, again, who celebrated his 91st birthday here this week. That was news right there. Speaking of news, let's tell you about what's going on across the Southland and the country today. Infrastructure negotiations between the House, the White House and Republicans continuing, as some call what's going on this week, a make-or-break week as President Biden has proposed trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure money to go to the country, and there's a lot of pork in there. And we'll find out how much the Republicans are willing to fight for or compromise on and more as that is currently going on in Washington, D.C. here this week. As I know most of those people on Capitol Hill are ready to get the heck out of there and have a few weeks away at a beach somewhere in the country in the coming weeks and months. More headlines. Let's go to... Orlando. This is our second Orlando Magic story of the weekend. It has nothing to do with the NBA franchise located there in Central Florida. Orlando Magic basketball player Terrence Ross is in the news because a Lamborghini was stolen from a dealership, and it was his. And this Lamborghini ended up being wrecked. Ross said it was a birthday present and the greatest car he ever had. Oh, I feel so sorry for him. Lamborghini, gone. The Magic Star revealed on Instagram that his $200,000-plus Lamborghini Lamborghini Urus, stolen around 1 a.m. on Tuesday from a dealership that he'd brought it to get a flat tire fixed. (laughs) Man, talk about rough day at the office. You take your Lamborghini in to get a tire fixed, and you end up having it stolen. And then it was wrecked. According to Ross, Terrence Ross of the Orlando Magic, the Urus SUV had a rare color combination, so it really stood out. He says, two guys broke into the dealership in the Orlando area, smashed through a glass, went through a desk, grabbed keys, and go out to the lot and start seeing which key works. And the key that they stumbled upon was my key. And lo and behold, this orange SUV looks kind of like a Texas Longhorn colored orange, ends up being taken away from the dealership. And these dudes, according to him, cruised around Winter Garden in my whip. And then they started to chase, I guess, cops or somebody. I'm not sure, whatever. But no, they weren't chasing cops. They were chasing their buddies, I guess. And they wrecked his car. The suspects fled the scene, and an investigation into the theft is ongoing. But bad luck for this NBA star who's in the middle of a four-year, $54 million contract with the Orlando Magic. I think he can probably get him a replacement Lamborghini if he'd like, but better luck for Terrence Ross moving forward. And don't take your Lamborghini in to the dealership. I believe it had been a lot cheaper just to have somebody come out to your house and replace the tire there. And I'm sure you could have found plenty of choices there in Magic Country to get that done. We'll take you from Orlando to Jacksonville, Florida. A seven-year-old boy ended up swimming an hour to rescue his dad and little sister. What an amazing story to tell you about here on this Wednesday. The boy switched between doggy paddling and floating on his back to keep from tiring out. And now this seven-year-old young boy, Chase Poust, saving his father and four-year-old sister 
by going to shore and calling for help after they got caught in a strong current during a holiday weekend boating trip on the St. Johns River there in northeast Florida. The father is Stephen Poust. He told a Jacksonville TV station that he anchored his boat in the river while he fished and his children played. Chase said the current was too strong for his sister Abigail to hold on to the boat and let go to stay with her. Only the girl was wearing a life jacket. The seven-year-old said he felt really scared. Their father jumped in the water to grab the daughter who was scared. Then Chase began swimming toward the shore. And thanks to doggy paddling and floating and more, all three have been rescued by the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department in Duval County there in northeast Florida. So an amazing story to tell you about. According to someone with the local fire department, neither the seven-year-old boy nor the father were required to wear a life vest. The law applies to children age six and under for a vessel under 26 feet long. But thankfully, a happy story to tell you. And I would not want to be in the St. John's River, whether it's because I'm scared of tiring out and drowning or, good Lord, they got some called alligators there in the St. John's River. And what a positive story to tell you about of what could have been an absolute disaster after this seven-year-old boy swims an hour to rescue his dad and little sister. The boy switched between floating on his back and doggy paddling to keep from getting tired out. What a smart little boy. He's already earned his life-saving merit badge, in my estimation. To Paris, Kentucky, an Eiffel Tower is headed its way. The city of Paris, Kentucky, raising money to build a replica of one of the world's most recognizable landmarks. Now, there's already an Eiffel Tower in downtown Paris, Kentucky, but a newer, taller tower is going to be put up there to represent Bourbon County, Kentucky's county seat. And according to the tourism director in Bourbon County, Kentucky, our Eiffel Tower that we're building right now is going to be 20 feet tall and going to be an exact replica of that Eiffel Tower in a place called Paris, France. The new tower will be installed in the shadow of another uniquely Paris, Kentucky landmark, the world's tallest three-story building. Who knew that much excitement was found in Paris, Kentucky? And now they've got a brand new Eiffel Tower right beside the world's or the nation's tallest three-story building. Who knew that you could go out and measure the height of three-story buildings. Well, they are doing it in Bourbon County, Kentucky, and put it on your list of places. In fact, go ahead and work your way not only to Paris, Kentucky, work your way to also see the Eiffel Tower on display in Paris, Tennessee. I just had my picture taken there a few weeks ago at the Paris, Tennessee Eiffel Tower. Pretty neat little place there. A little bit off the beaten path. You better make sure you got a good map if you're trying to find it. Keeping it in Tennessee for this story, Tri-Cities, a boat dealer in the Tri-Cities of East Tennessee, offering a $100,000 prize to any fisherman who catches a tag bass in South Holston Lake. You want to make $100,000? Get yourself to Sullivan County, Tennessee, and this boat dealer is giving someone a chance to hook a fish for $100,000. Watson's Marine is where we're talking about. Watson's Marine Manager Rex Pendergrass says a small bass named Old Walter 2.0 is going to be tagged and released into South Holston Lake. If anyone catches Old Walter 2.0, who's got a tag on him, 
if they catch this bass between 12.01 on June 12th and 11.59 on June 13th, they will win $100,000 thanks to Rex and Watson's Marine in the Tri-Cities of Virginia. The owner of Watson's Marine is Aaron Green. He says that old Walter will be released within a day of the start of the event to ensure that it is not caught before the prize would count. The fish will be released at an undisclosed location on the lake. All right, I like that. The prize provided through a hole-in-one type insurance policy that allows the giveaway to take place. Yeah, it, is, it truly does pay off to be a fisherman in the Tri-Cities of Virginia if you can catch this pretty bass. And I can't show you a picture because I don't have it. They're keeping that secret. But, yeah, you have a chance to catch old Walter 2.0 and win $100,000 in the Tri-Cities of Virginia this week. You can also go, if you're looking for some excitement here as June is upon us, go to Tuscaloosa, and there you'll find a vintage store that is full of nothing but Alabama Crimson Tide fun. You can get the Sugar Bowl cap from an old U.S. F&G Sugar Bowl for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You can find all kinds of fun stuff there at 2210 University Boulevard in Tuscaloosa. Plenty of really cool Alabama gear from yesteryear, from yester decade. Lots of Bear Bryant Coke bottles. I went and looked just before I brought this segment to you. And if you've been anywhere in the South in the last 50 years, you've probably seen a Bear Bryant Coke bottle. Those things right now are selling for about $15 on eBay. I thought they would actually be a little higher, frankly. But, yeah, if you want to get rid of your Bear Bryant Coke bottle, you're going to likely get about 15 bucks. And there at this vintage store in Tuscaloosa, you might can get a better deal. But they got a lot of other really cool stuff. How would you like to have one of those old-school baseball caps with the really old throwback Alabama logo Roll Tide. You can get it right there at Alabama Vintage Store in Tuscaloosa. And lastly, here on the Y'all Show, in our quick look at fun stuff across the southeast on this Wednesday, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 1987. Were you there? Were you there hanging out in 1987? And did you put a message in a bottle and send it out into the Atlantic? Somebody did because this 1987 message in a bottle has now been found in Florida. Christopher Nolan found the bottle in his mother's canal in Marathon, Florida, which is in the Florida Keys of all places. He thought it was litter at first. He picked it up. Then he discovered it's a message in a bottle. And he put a post on it on social media. The note dated May 16, 1987, said, Dear person who finds this, I want to I want you to try to return it to me. My name is Zach Williams, and if I'm in and if I'm dead by the time you try to return the note, just keep it. I put it in the ocean at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. A Facebook post about the letter made by Nolan's coworker has more than a thousand shares. We're trying to find Zach Williams. Do y'all know Zach Williams who would have been in Myrtle Beach in nineteen eighty seven? Zach, you should have put a little bit more stuff in there about you. You probably didn't realize something like Facebook was going to show up one day. And I hope, Zach, you're still with us. Hopefully you are still alive. And how cool would it be for this message in a bottle to find its way back to Zach Williams and maybe they can get it reunited and maybe in a place called Myrtle Beach right there on the Grand Strand. You can go to the pavilion and enjoy a a nice 
throwback to 1987 when you threw that message out, that message in a bottle out into the mighty Atlantic, and now it finds its way to Marathon, Florida, in the keys of the Sunshine State. We're going to take a quick break, wrap up this y'all show. This is Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back. We've come to the end of this Wednesday Y'all Show. Thank y'all so much for being a part of the fun. You know what? We ought to just get back together on Thursday and have another good three-hour ride of talking about everything Southern. That's what I intend to do. I hope you will join us. Thanks again for listening and being a part of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. John Rawls signing off. Thank y'all very much.